I think people undervalue the effect one small change can have on the world around them. Sustainability is just as important in our own home gardens and landscapes as it is on the world stage of our environment. Never underestimate the impact you can make leading by example. Making one small modification to the way you do things on your own property can have massive impact on your neighbors and their properties, and the change can multiply from there. Hey, I'm Karen, and together with my husband, I spent over a decade researching and learning and building our small farm through lots of trial and error, successes and failures. I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture to help our farm business, and now I want to pass all that knowledge on to you. Because I firmly believe that self-reliance is empowering and that everyone, whether you've got a five-acre plot in the country, a half-acre lot in suburbia, or a windowless room in a downtown apartment, should just grow something. Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. This is episode 15, and this is part two of uh, my piece on sustainable gardening and landscaping. So uh, in the last episode on these sustainable practices, um, we talked about the first three practices, landscaping for local climate, reducing waste and recycling, and nurturing the soil. In this episode, we are going to talk about conserving water, planting heirlooms and shopping local, practicing responsible pest management, and supporting beneficial wildlife. Uh, Before we jump into that, I want to thank you for coming back again this week, and I want to thank those of you who have gone out and ranked and rated this podcast uh, on your uh, your podcast app that absolutely helps in getting us um, discovered by new gardeners and other people who might enjoy this podcast. And I also want to thank those of you who are um, going out and supporting this podcast by shopping with our sponsors. Um, you know, there's this is sort of a labor of love, but there are absolutely costs involved with it. And so anytime you do anything with any of our sponsors, that absolutely helps, even if it's only pennies. So um, that is super appreciated. A reminder to go out and uh, follow our Instagram page. It is Just Grow Something Podcast on Instagram. And uh, we're trying to get caught up with all the episodes out there on that platform. And so they might be a little out of sync. I might be posting a a Garden Talk Tuesday image, uh, and it might be a Wednesday or a Thursday. It may not be the most current episode, but once we finally get caught up, you will see those. And I'm adding, you know, new content each week that is not uh, specifically this podcast related. So you can check that out. And don't forget to send me your gardening questions. We are fast approaching our next Can You Dig It episode. And I would love to answer some more gardening questions from you and enter you into the drawing to win a free Clyde's Garden Planner. So With all that being said, let's dig into today's episode. So as a quick reminder, what does sustainable mean, right? So to sustain means to keep going or continue, and sustainable is the ability to carry on an activity indefinitely with minimal impact on the environment. The Sustainable Sites Initiative says sustainability is a way of living 
that meets the needs of the present without impacting the needs of the future. And that's sort of the one that I really attribute to actual sustainability. Whatever we're doing right now meets our needs right now, but it doesn't diminish or impact the needs of our future generations. And I think that's that's probably to me, the most important aspect of sustainability. So as we jump back into these different gardening practices and landscaping practices, we go with practice number four, which is to conserve water. Water conservation is super important to sustainability. Less than 1% of the water on our planet is usable by us. The remainder is salt water uh, in the oceans or it's frozen in glaciers, although as we continue into our future and our climate continues to change a little bit, we are seeing some of those glaciers melting. However, uh, communities across the country are facing challenges in maintaining healthy and affordable water supplies. And that's why it's more important than ever to use our water wisely and not to waste it. It takes a large amounts of energy to produce and transport clean water and to process Wastewater. A typical household uses approximately 260 gallons of water every day. So in your landscaping, a way to conserve water is to choose low water, drought resistant plants, mostly natives. I'm going to go back to natives again because they are acclimated to your area and generally require much less water to survive after they have been well established. When we're talking vegetable gardens, you should be choosing vegetable varieties that are acclimated to your area. Avoid planting cooler season veggies during the warmer weather because they're going to require a lot more water. That is just one way to help conserve water in the garden. Another way is to add shade cloth to your vegetable garden when the temperatures look like they're going to remain high for an extended period of time without any kind of rain, especially if you're somebody who does not water your garden area unless it is absolutely necessary. Now, shade cloth structures can be really simple or super elaborate. You can use just about anything as a way to prop up something, whether it's a cloth or it's a tarp, uh, to shade your plants from the elements. Another way to decrease evaporation, uh, water evaporation is mulch. Mulch, you know, use those organic elements. Keep the soil cooler, help prevent the water from evaporating. And again, if it's a, an organic sort of mulch, it will work to help add nutrients to the soil while it's retaining that moisture. Another good way to conserve water is to group plants with similar water needs together right? And then water them slowly and really deeply, but only as needed. So drip irrigation and soaker hoses are a really good way to do this. They emit water slowly and they allow it to travel directly to the root zones of your plants. Now, if you're watering grass or other plantings where drip is just not appropriate, look for low flow rotor and sprinkler heads that will deliver water more efficiently. Be sure to keep any sprinklers adjusted to prevent overspray onto sidewalks and other impervious services because that is literally just a waste of water and washing it, watching it run away. Um, timers are a good idea. 
as long as they're making sure that your plants are getting watered regularly without overwatering, we generally just water when we see that it's necessary. But if you are in an extremely hot area or a very arid area where you are needing to water frequently anyway, timers are a great way to make sure that you are not overwatering. Um, overhead watering with a hose especially for really short periods, is generally really inefficient. You're only wetting the top layer of the soil, and it doesn't get the water down into the root zone of most plants. This is going to result in plant stress. You're going to lose a lot of that water to evaporation, and you're going to encourage more weed growth. So you're better off watering more deeply and less frequently than you are just blanketly watering every day, but only for a short period of time. Another thing to think about, too, is to maybe plant more perennials, whether it's a landscaping bed or a vegetable garden. Perennials generally require less water than annuals. They're already established. They have deeper root systems. They're going to reach further down to get that water that's been stored down in the soil, and they're going to require you to water less frequently. And then a final way to conserve water is to sort of keep your water on site, right? So permeable surfaces like sand or decomposed granite, gravel, mulch, all those things allow water to percolate into the ground instead of running off into the street or into a storm drain. You can also design depressions or ditches in your landscape. We call them swales or bioswales or infiltration basins that will collect the water runoff and allow it to slowly percolate into the ground. This is actually a really good way to use native plantings again, because again, those, those native plantings generally have very deep roots and those deep roots function as a really good filter. So that water that is running off, especially if it's coming in from the street side too, you can make these basins to where they're kind of at the edge of your garden or your landscaping or at the edge of your lawn. And you can filter the water that's not only coming off of your area, but also that may be coming off of the street or the sidewalk area. And it will actually filter out the toxins, the runoff, the oil, the gas, whatever's coming off of the street side. And then and anything that might be coming off of your yard or garden side, slow that runoff. It's going to slow down the water infiltration. It allows it to percolate into the ground, and those roots are actually pulling a lot of those toxins out of that water before it reaches your water table. So these bioswales are a fabulous idea no matter where you are. And I really like the, the fact that there are a lot of municipalities now that are using this. There are private businesses that are using this around their parking lots and other impermeable surfaces to help slow the runoff and also to clean and filter that water as it's going into the ground. Um, and one other thing to do to conserve water would also be to collect your own rainwater if it's allowable in your municipality. Um, there are many types of rainwater collection containers and systems that will save some of the rainwater off of your roof, which collects an enormous amount of water off of that flat impermeable surface. And then you can turn around and use that water in your garden. So not only are you collecting that water, you're conserving that water, you're not using the municipal um, water source to water your plants at that point. So if we move on to practice number five, planting heirlooms and eating local, I'm going to 
I'm going to kind of preface this with a little bit of a caveat. I, this is probably the point that I am least of a stickler about, uh, because I do believe that hybrid plants have their place, especially when you're talking about plant diseases, being resistant to those, um, or, you know, there are hybrids that go back to our previous point, they use less water. Uh, they, you know, require, um, you know, less sun, whatever it is, I think that hybrids absolutely do have a place. But hybrid vegetable seeds have to be recreated each year in order to be able to produce true to type versus heirlooms and open pollinated varieties that can be saved year after year, which kind of automatically perpetuates uh, the species. So unlike hybrids, which, you know, often have it, have problems reproducing like the parent strain, heirloom seeds can be saved, can be replanted. You're ensuring sort of a trustworthy supply of family food year after year. And if we're going back to what the definition of sustainability is, that one that I'm particularly fond of, you know, saving seeds is absolutely a way of providing for the needs of the present without impacting the needs of the future. And if anything, you are actually benefiting the needs of the future because you are not requiring those seeds to be reproduced again uh, in a very controlled environment. They're just saved and replanted. So uh, planting heirlooms is a really good, you know, sustainable gardening practice. Uh, the other part of that is eating local. If you can seek out local farmers that use sustainable practices, then you are encouraging not only them, but other farmers to continue to use sustainable practices. You know, that sort of supply and demand thing. The more you demand a product and the more, you know, interest there is in products that have been grown using these sustainable practices, well, then the more people that are going to be interested in growing them in that manner. Uh, look to join a community-supported agriculture program or a food co-op that helps to support local sustainable family farms. Purchase eggs, meat, and dairy from pasture-raised animals, not confinement operations. These are more sustainable-type operations. Um you know, there are directories that you can go to out there that will will help you find things nationally. But I always try to encourage people to look uh, at a local source. There's a reason that we don't ship uh, our meats, uh, even though people have asked us over the years, because we are firm believers in the fact that, you know, you should be buying somewhere locally. That is a more sustainable way for you to be able to get your food right there in your own local community. And again, the more interest there is in those sustainable practices, the more likely there are to be farmers who are practicing those sustainable practices. There's not much better than looking out first thing on a sunny morning, gazing at my garden beds over a hot cup of coffee. As U.S. Marines, my husband and I drank a lot of coffee. As farmers, now let's just say we should probably drink more water. The coffee we drink these days still has a military tie. We have freshly roasted coffee shipped to us every few weeks from Black Rifle Coffee Company. Black Rifle is a veteran-owned business, just like ours, but they serve up premium coffee and ship it around the world. 
When you join their coffee club, your chosen brew is roasted, packaged, and shipped free to your door on whatever schedule you choose. And with every purchase, they're giving back to military veterans and active duty, law enforcement, and first responders. Ready to check them out? Go to justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash coffee to save 20% when you join the Black Rifle Coffee Club. No commitments. Cancel anytime. That's justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash coffee for 20% off your coffee club subscription. So practice number six in sustainable gardening and landscaping is responsible pest control. And this is something that I have practiced from pretty much day one, although my understanding of how it works has certainly evolved over the years. Use an integrated pest management strategy or an IPM to control pest and disease problems in your garden and your landscape in the least toxic way possible. An IPM approach encourages methods such as using resistant varieties. So there's where we go back to the hybrids instead of using the heirlooms, right? Um, good cultural practices, meaning clean up after yourself in the garden, don't leave stuff to overwinter, um, where you know pests can hang out and reproduce or maybe overwinter and come out as adults in the spring. Um, use biological controls, uh, companion planting, crop rotation, trap cropping, hand picking, and the, just the least toxic pesticides that you can possibly use. These methods can provide long-term prevention or suppression of pest problems with minimum impact on not just human health, but the environment and other beneficial wildlife. This is something that we feel really, really strongly about. When we first got onto this farm, there wasn't a whole lot in the way of native pollinators or even the European honeybees. We had kind of seen them decline in our area a little bit. And years of planting and growing the way that we do, we have started to see those beneficials come back. And we plant things every year to make sure that they are continuing to come back. We also plant things that are bringing in other beneficial bugs. Uh, we release um, bug predators, you know, I mentioned Arbico Organics. We buy um, ladybugs from them, praying mantis from them, beneficial nematodes, uh, those types of things. These are the ways that we control pests without having to spray any type of um, chemicals onto our gardens or onto our landscape. And I absolutely um, encourage people to do the same in their own gardens and their landscape. Again, um, attracting and protecting beneficial partners in the garden, spiders, birds, reptiles, and amphibians, beneficial predatory insects. Those can all help control pests and maintain a healthy ecosystem in your garden. Planting native plants are another great way to accomplish this. Um, you know, instead of always having to sort of import them in or buy them in from a company, the more native plantings you have, the more you're going to attract those native predatory insects that are going to go after sort of your native or sometimes not native um, 
insect pests that want to plague your garden. So that's a, it's a good way to not only get something showy in your landscape, but then to also benefit your native environment by planting these native plants. And if it's just the native plantings in the perennial beds that are in around your landscape, that in turn is going to help the annual plants that you are planting in your vegetable garden. And just sort of accept that less than perfect is okay. <laughs> Slightly damaged is Mother Nature's norm. Everything is food for something else in the natural world, and plants are designed to sustain some damage. It's their contribution to the ecosystem. As long as the plant is healthy overall, maybe just learn to live with a little damage to the leaves and a few holes uh, in your landscape or on your veggies, a little a little nick or a bite here and there is okay. That's part of the reason why we have such a huge amount of food waste in this country is people have been sort of trained and groomed to think that, well, any vegetable that looks less than perfect much must be less good, must be less than. And that's why you know, it doesn't sell anymore in the grocery stores. And and that leads to a tremendous amount of waste right out of the fields. So if we can sort of get past that and understand that Mother Nature doesn't discriminate, you know, saying, oh, well, this, this plant is pretty and this one's not, so we're just going to let this one die. No, slightly damaged is the norm in natural ecosystems. And we should go ahead and accept that and be able to sort of transport that into our own garden and landscaping areas. The final practice is supporting beneficial wildlife. Try to create a garden-friendly wildlife habitat in your garden. Our gardens are both ecosystems of their own, but then also a part of the larger ecosystem in which we all live. There are many threats to that larger ecosystem, a major one being urban growth. So even though wildlife habitat in urban areas has often been reduced to small patches, we can make a significant contribution to protecting, preserving, and increasing this habitat by creating diverse plant and animal communities within our own gardens. We can attract wildlife, birds, bees, butterflies, bats, all manner of insects, reptiles, and amphibians. They will contribute to the overall health of our gardens in particular and to the greater ecosystem in general. And again, making it a much more sustainable environment. So that's it. Um, those are the seven practices to practicing sustainability in your gardening and your landscaping. And just to review very quickly, smart gardening in this instance is landscaping for your local climate, reducing your waste and recycling, nurturing the soil, conserving water, planting heirlooms and shopping local, practicing responsible pest management, and supporting beneficial wildlife. Looking at that list or listening to that list, what one change can you make in any of these areas after what you've heard today and in last Friday's episode? There's a lot of different little changes that can be made in our own environments that can add up and lead to a much bigger impact 
overall. So I encourage you to go back, re-listen to these episodes if you need to. Go and check out the show notes where I will list the seven practices and sort of the basics behind them. And, uh, and share with a neighbor or a friend about what changes you might be making and challenge them to, to do the same thing. And, uh, you know, be the example for your neighbors. Be the example for your friends as to, you know, sustainably gardening and landscaping. It, you'd be surprised at how influential one change by one person can be to an entire community. Thank you so much for listening again today. And I look forward to having you back again on our next Garden Talk Tuesday episode next week. Please don't forget to send me your gardening questions. Either jump on to the JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com website and submit your questions on our contact page. You can go into the show notes and leave me a voice message or you can send me an email to grow at justgrowsomethingpodcast.com. Don't forget to follow the Instagram, support our sponsors and all the things. Thank you so much, my gardening friends. And I will talk to you again soon. Keep on cultivating that dream garden. You just finished another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. I hope these episodes are helping you understand more about how to grow your own food and maybe growing an awareness of food issues in general. Just remember, no matter where you live or what you have, you can absolutely grow something. Um.